Welcome once again to Unwrap the Pick and Roll Podcast presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Head to fblsport.com for more. Adam Webster with you for episode four of Unwrap. Thank you so much for all of your positive comments, your likes, your subscribes, your listens over the first three weeks of this show. Uh, this week, I'm thrilled to welcome back someone that joined me for an interview in episode one, the pick and rolls, Michael Huben. Uh, Michael, previously we chatted to Alex Tui, but now we just get to talk to you about an article you've released this week. Thanks so much for joining me once again. Of course, it's a pleasure to be back on so soon again, and, and this is a really cool story that I'm really passionate about, so keen to, to chat with you on it. So you've gone a real community route for your latest piece, and you've gone into the Collingwood Basketball Club. Um, of course, most people listening would associate Collingwood with football and um, previously netball, but not anymore. Um, but now uh, you're going into the initiatives that are creating, I guess, pathways in the community, study opportunities, work opportunities, uh, and bringing down youth crime in you know an area of Melbourne in a city that um, has a little bit of that and has historically had a bit of youth crime and the role that the basketball team, the club at Al is playing in uh, trying to turn the community around, which is just so important for community sports clubs. It's something that a lot of people say about community clubs that they have the capability to turn around the youth if they are struggling or lacking motivation or lacking pathways or lacking opportunities. Um, Collingwood is doing a brilliant job of doing just that. Yeah, Collingwood, I'm sure, is an example, as many clubs are doing around Victoria and Australia, of making a difference, you know, not just through in sport, but through sport um, with with bigger impacts throughout the community. And um, I had the privilege of talking to Manny Hendricks, who's the youth development uh, lead there at Collingwood All-Stars. Um, and they're doing some fantastic things. It's a classic story of, of basketball being bigger than sport. Um, and they've looked at the the, um, the wide variety of players that are found within Collingwood and, and getting them engaged and participating through basketball. And not only are they producing some high-end outcomes, they've had some kids come through, play Division One basketball. Um, you know, in the article, we talk about some of the players that have gained scholarships over the last year or two. But some of the wider implications, so, you know, not only are they getting kids in to play basketball, they've got initiatives like a study hall and in-team psychologist, um, and they work uh, trying to get kids involved in, um, you know, academics, but also, you know, work after sport and things like that. So they're really hitting on not just the elite of the elite, but making sure that these kids are engaged and focused on bigger outcomes for the rest of their lives. I love Manny's title, Chief Inspiration Officer. That's uh, that's a pretty special one. It sounds like he's a really special guy. He's got a passion for helping youth. Um, and it, it struck me in your article how much he appreciated the kids wanting to come early and put up shots and kind of take a role in their own development and own their own development, which then makes people like Manny so important to kind of cultivate that passion for the sport and try and transfer that across to study, across to, you know, work um, and other opportunities and, and kind of use basketball as the linchpin of it all, um, which we've seen it happen in other sports, but basketball obviously not being the biggest sport in Australia. We're starting to see more of that now. We're starting to see participation rise around the nation. We're starting to see, you know, more clubs take on these sorts of initiatives, but 
Um, it's brilliant that Collingwood was able to recognize that by using basketball, it can help almost every aspect of a kid's life. Yeah, you see so many players' imports coming from the United States and having roles on big V teams or NBL1 teams. And a lot of the time, yes, they are very helpful on the court, but it's about the community impact as well. And I think Manny really exemplifies the potential of a role like that when you bring an import over. He's played in the big V competition for many years. He doesn't do it anymore. He's progressed into this role full-time with Collingwood. But he's someone who's a big character. Immediately, I could tell his passion when we caught up and, and spoke on these topics. And he can really engage the kids. Something that I asked him midway through, I was like, how do you... He talks about holding the kids to account and really, um, you know, to these high standards in basketball and in life. And I said, how do you make sure that kids just don't walk away and say, you know, I'm not interested in this. I'm just going to go play basketball somewhere else. And he said, when the kids see the dividends that come from their commitment to the program, they're bought in. You know, the the study hall, as an example, that was an initiative that came from the players. They said, hey, look, you know, basketball is great and all we've got VC exams coming up, you know, can we open up the gym? Can we just have a place to study? So he's a great example. And he speaks in the article as well about all the amazing other people involved in, in Collingwood All-Stars. Obviously it takes many people to produce initiatives like this, yeah. but uh, you know, Manny is a, a big character and a big person behind a lot of this. Probably the most impressive part of your whole article was the fact that Collingwood has employed a psychologist for the kids as well and that Manny recognized that he had limitations in the advice that he could provide these kids and the support that he could provide them because you know many and varied backgrounds um in the in the inner city um local you know migrant communities alike and you know youth crime obviously is something that you touch on very briefly but the fact that Manny recognized that bringing in someone who could help these kids through their own mental health struggles or their own challenges growing up, which, you know, God knows kids have enough struggles growing up and being teenagers anyway, but you add other things in their lives around the inner city and it makes it even more challenging. So the fact that Collingwood's brought in a psychologist is amazing and shows their commitment to that support. I, I don't know how many clubs would do that, but it seems like it's something that people like Manny have recognized and really carried forward. Yeah, and again, a great example of, you know, you can intellectualize and theorize about, you know, what is best for these kids and what supports you can put in place. But at the end of the day, people like Manny are in the trenches and they're just listening to what the kids need and reacting organically. So again, you know, he was in a position where he was talking to a lot of these kids, he was providing support. And in many ways, he can provide support and relate to these kids through his own experiences, through experience of his his friends and colleagues back in his time growing up in the United States. But to be able to identify that, you know, this is a an aspect where a professional is really helpful, um, you know, it was fantastic um, an initiative on Collingwood's regard and also really speaks to the power that funding um, can go to helping these kids because a lot of these initiatives, you know, they're great in theory, but how do you implement, how do you finance it? Um, it speaks to Manny's ability to fundraise, to create donors, sponsors, grants, things of this nature to help support Collingwood in all these ventures as well. And underscores the vital importance of, you know, local fundraising and funding from businesses, private citizens, etc. So 
if you have a local club, if you are in a local area where you have a basketball team or any sports team that's making these sorts of strides and playing in these sorts of spaces and beginning to give kids opportunities that transcend the sport, then dip into your wallet if you can, because it's really important that we wrap our arms around our youth and get them not only passionate about these sorts of sports and clubs and being a part of a team, but we support them through what is a really challenging period of their lives for some kids. For others, they find it really easy, but for some, it can be a real struggle. So um, brilliant that we're bringing that to light on pick and roll. It's not just about professional level sport on this site. And Michael, for you, I'm keen to understand how this article came together for you um, before we get into potentially some of your motivations personally for writing overall. Um, how did this topic kind of come up? How did you approach it? Um, and what was the process in putting this together? Indoor sports are often played on dusty, dirty, or humidity-affected courts. Lack of grip hinders an athlete's performance. To be at your best, choose GripX. GripX is a new high-performance shoe grip spray using a special locally tested and patented formula. A couple of sprays of GripX on the soles of your shoes provides athletes with confidence via reliable stability, movement, and accuracy. Used by athletes at all levels and abilities on hardcore sports such as basketball, futsal, squash, volleyball, and badminton, GripX does not affect natural movements but supports controlled actions when surface conditions aren't great. GripX is available in five amazing scents including apple, vanilla, and orange. At just $17.95 each, make sure you're ready to take the court anytime, anywhere, thanks to GripX. Available only online at grip-x.com.au. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, at the pick and roll, we really get the privilege of interviewing anyone from NBA players, NBL, you know, really high profile people. But I think these stories really are the ones that resonate the most as a writer because you get to really see the impact and, and how much of an emotional and empowering story it is. So for me, it's a, it's a an area I've always been interested in. I think I've grown up as a young person seeing the greater influence of uh, different backgrounds on the Australian basketball landscape. We're seeing so many South Sudanese players in particular, um, which, you know, really is prov- prevalent in the Collingwood community um, come through and have an impact at the NBL level. We're seeing Joe Reith at the NBA level now. But none of those outcomes happen unless you look at the grassroots. And Collingwood's a great example of that. So for me, a really interesting story. Um, you know, I also come from a background working with young people as well. So it's really an intersection of multiple passions of mine. And, um, you know, it's fantastic and inspiring to hear people so passionate doing things in the local community. And again, that can have impacts on the 1% that go on and do amazing things in the basketball scene, but it has an impact on so many more people that may, may not even continue to play basketball into their adulthood, but it sets them up for life and it creates the, the values and the structure for them to succeed going forward. We've discussed two kind of polar opposite topics on this show with you so far. We've interviewed an NBL player that's on NBA mock drafts and now we're talking about community initiatives. So I want to get into a little bit of what brought you to the pick and roll and what made you fall in love with basketball overall. You clearly have a passion for not just the sport itself and watching the sport, but individual players and tracking progress and youth and, you know, community initiatives, as you've said. So how does that all happen that you take that passion, you find those passions, you take it and then you, you funnel it into writing. Yeah, when I started with the pick and roll, you know, I think growing up as a young person watching basketball, you know, I was focused on the NBA. I loved dissecting it. I loved watching it, taking it in. 
Um, you know, I found an outlet expressing that online and, you know, that really evolved into my role at the pick and roll writing. But once you start interviewing people and, and really tapping into the human side of things, I think a lot of these players can often be larger than life. Um, you know, when you look at them from the outside looking in, but when you speak to them, you realize that, you know, it can be re very reflective of, you know, your own basketball experiences growing up or anyone's basketball experiences. You know, they just happen to commit and compete at a higher level at the end of the day. But when you speak to them, you realize that basketball, you know, can be a microcosm for life. And a lot of those learnings, whether you're playing at the local level, whether you're playing in the NBA, are things that are really translatable. So I love the basketball side of things. I love dissecting it. I love watching it. But I also love the human element as well. And those things go hand in hand. So those are two aspects that I try to tap into with every article I write with the pick and roll. I'm going to put you on the spot. You've obviously done a lot of articles uh, about a lot of topics. What's been either your favorite article that you've done or your favorite interview that you've been uh, conducted over the journey? Uh, there's a lot. There's so many and it is really hard. Um, I, I've really enjoyed following some of the guys that I started talking to several years ago when I started at the pick and roll. Um, you look at a guy like Chima Maneki, you know, he's someone that was barely scraping by in the second division of France when we first spoke. Look, fast forward a few years, I'm talking to him and he's in the Sacramento Kings for a bit. He's obviously doing amazing things in Europe now. He's an, a great example of someone from an African background that has um, come from the ACT, you know, gone through a very unique journey to get where he is. So I think that's a really interesting story. And then also the South Sudanese national team. You know, I think when we started, I started the pick and roll at 2019 or so. The South Sudanese national team wasn't really even a thing. You know, they yeah. just sort of scrounged this team together. They competed in some qualifiers and the Waldang had just taken on the reins with that program at the time. And to see them now doing as well as they have, obviously, in the World Cup and, and now looking forward to an Olympics, um, just an amazing story. And, and it's those underdog stories that, you know, really engage me. The South Sudanese team in particular was one that I loved watching at the FIBA World Cup last year. Um, I'm so excited to see the potential of them playing in the Olympics as well. And they they should be Australia's second team. They should be the, you know, everyone in Australia should be rooting for the South Sudanese team unless they're playing the Boomers. And even if they would somehow beat the Boomers, I think everyone should have a smile on their face as that happens because it's an unlikely story is, um, is how it's been described. And it's probably the perfect way to describe it. And it takes a guy like Luol Deng that made you know, well over $100 million in his NBA career to make something like that happen for a community in a country that loves this sport and is so passionate about it and has produced so many great players locally and internationally. It's just a joy to... And more players, they've got, you know, the teenager whose name escapes me who is going to be a killer in a couple of years as well. You can correct me on that, um, on his name, but uh, he looked wonderful in the World Cup. Yeah, I think that's what's so exciting. And you think about how far-reaching the diaspora of South Sudanese people is across the globe. And then you look at the national team and two-thirds of it is Australian players that we know and recognize from our experiences watching yeah. basketball. That's pretty special. And, you know, as much as we like supporting the Boomers and, you know, it is fantastic to see someone like Joe Reith as an example go and represent Australia and it speaks volumes to representation and how welcome they feel as part of the community. But then also to see players that are living and based in Australia go and represent their home country of South Sudan. And you hear the story and the significance behind that. And so many things that go into the current situation over there. 
Um, this means a massive amount to those people, even though they have now come and lived and relocated to Australia. So whether they're playing for South Sudan, whether they're playing for Australia, it's amazing and everyone should get behind them. And taking this conversation completely full circle, that's precisely the reason we need to invest in club sport because for migrant communities like such a significant South Sudanese community in, in Victoria, that's how these stars are produced because people put their hard-earned money down and their faith and their time, most importantly, into these kids uh, and give them the opportunity to be able to be the best version of themselves. And that's you know something that we all should get behind. Absolutely. And look... Africa, in many ways, is the future of basketball globally. Yes. And the NBA invests so heavily in it. And we have our own community of our own, which, you know, is really engaged in the sport as well. And at the end of the day, we just want to see every young kid in Australia that wants to grow up and play basketball have the same level of opportunities. You know, sometimes players have many hurdles in their way that might stop them from pursuing basketball or, or reaching the heights that their potential could see them reach. And, you know, when those outcomes are aided by financial help and support, it's a really heartwarming story to see. Michael Herbin, thanks so much for joining me again on Unwrapped. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Unwrapped is presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasize a perfect mix of fashion, function, and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black, and gold colors. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, and socks, to their two signature shoes, the Edge in white and gold, and the Threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. Welcome back to Unwrap, presented by FBL Sport. Head to fblsport.com for more information. And you can head to pickandroll.com.au for the latest in Aussie hoops. And one of the articles that came out over the last couple of weeks was in relation to uh, what you would call a role player, although that is sometimes seen as a bit of a derogatory term. But I think for Hiram Harris, that's uh, a bit of a badge of honour that he's been able to wear for the Perth Wildcats this season, Perth finds themselves, as of this recording, in second place on the NBL ladder at 15 and 7. Only one game out of Melbourne uh, at 16 and 6, who have been sliding in their Australian Open road trip lately. I have the author of that piece, uh, my broadcast partner for the Tasmania Jack Jumpers games on Clutch Radio, Jacob Dool. With me, Jacob, you uh, were able to have a chat with Hiram Harris and sort of connect about his role, his changing role in this team and the you know rapport he's been able to build with John Rilly and the run that Perth's been able to go on since moving Hiram to the starting lineup. Yeah, thanks for having me on once again, Adam. Always good fun. And I've, I've really enjoyed yeah chatting with Hiram about his season that he's had. I think he's someone that when you look at Perth's resurgence this season, he's pretty clearly been a big part of it. His move into the starting lineup was a real momentum shifter for them, but the numbers don't really tell a full story. So to sort of get some of his insight on on his own play and, and also some of his teammates, his coach and and everything that's going on in Perth. I thought it was it was really good to to hear from him and get his side of that. I think one of the interesting aspects of the article was the discussion about Perth watching Hiram in the New Zealand NBL and wanting that version of Hiram Harris, not the version of Hiram Harris that had presented itself in previous NBL seasons. Hiram's uh, been with Adelaide previously in his career and has a little been a little bit of a journeyman in his short NBL career. He's from Auckland originally, um, but 
uh, spent time with Illawarra in 2019-20, then went to Cairns, last two seasons in, in Adelaide, and then he's obviously come up with Perth. He's only averaging 15 minutes a game or a shade under 15 minutes a game and nearly five points a game. But you're right, the numbers don't really tell the story of Harris's kind of position as that starting three. It's been able to get John really to bring Jordan Usher off the bench into more of a bench scoring role. And for Hiram himself, he's just there to do a job. He's there to rebound. He's there to defend. And, and he does those things really well. And they're getting the version of Hiram Harris you see in the New Zealand NBL, not the version that's kind of come on for cameo roles for Adelaide, uh, etc. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really interesting, Hiram talking about that kind of difference in perception between the Hiram Harris in the New Zealand league and the one in the Australian league, because he is a really accomplished player in, in his home country. You know, he's, he's a star in the New Zealand NBL. He's represented the national team quite a bit and, and done very well there. So, and yet in the Australian NBL before this season, he was just sort of that last player signed end of the bench bit parts player. So I think for Perth to have the faith in him to, to make the same sort of impact in Australia as he had in New Zealand was really quite insightful from them. Um, I think it's proven to be a very good decision. And as you say, the the numbers don't jump off the page, but Perth have a 10 and two record since Hiram Harris made his first start this season. So he's, he's clearly doing a lot of little things right that, that maybe don't show up on the box score. And he's doing the right thing by his star teammate, Bryce Cotton, as well, who's been averaging, I think, 28 or 29 points over the same span. And Hiram spoke to you about the need for him to kind of fall into line and get Bryce involved in terms of setting up Bryce rather than looking for his own shot or looking for um, anything else aside from getting Bryce the very best shot on each possession, which is the precise kind of attitude and approach you want from the players around your star player and probably a big reason why he works in this starting lineup. Yeah, and and one thing that Harm was sort of really big on was that he recognised that coming into this season with Perth, he'd never been in a winning situation in the Australian NBL. He'd been on on teams that are struggling or, or still finding their feet. So for him, he said, coming into an organisation like the Wildcats who have been so successful over so many years and specifically playing with Bryce Cotton and Jesse Wagstaff who have won titles, they've been really key players on some of the best teams you'll see in the NBL. That that was a real positive for him. He wanted to learn from them and he also wanted to help them get back to that point. So as you say, just falling into line, I think, yeah, is, is one good way of putting it. But I think just, you know, recognising the alongside Bryce Cotton and wanting to help that to continue is, for him this season and and he's really helped to bring out the best in Cotton again. I had the pleasure of going to Hiram's last game uh, in Kudos Bank Arena where the Wildcats defeated the Sydney Kings 104-98 to and kind of stamped themselves as not just a title contender but probably the favourites given Melbourne's struggles over recent weeks. Hiram in that game had nine points and six boards and four assists. So he, he had a strong statistical game for a starting man on an NBL squad um, his defense was obviously really strong. He made it difficult for Sydney, uh, but it it just brings to light his strengths as a role player in the organization as well as the league. And for Perth to contend, he needs to continue to kind of fill the box score to an extent without scoring. Um, and they look to be fully capable of doing that right now. Would you say that they're the title favorites as we sit here? 
I'm I'm still not sure I'd quite go that far. I know that they're they're obviously the form team in the league by by a fair stretch at the moment, and they're certainly right up there with Melbourne United in that top tier for title contention. Those are the two teams that should feel good about their chances at the moment. I, I still think I'd give Melbourne just a slight edge if it full strength, just because they've got so much depth of talent there. They've got so many options and they, they were setting the standard for, you know, 90% of this season by, by a fair margin, but Perth are certainly closing in really fast with, with the way that they're playing and the way that, that John really has been able to sort of refine his game plan and this, this team's rotations They're they're going to be a serious contender come finals time either way. They also have arguably the best run home of any contender as well. I mean, in round 17, they face Illawarra at home. Illawarra have been struggling of late with three straight losses. Then they go to the State Basketball Centre and play the fledgling Southeast Melbourne Phoenix who have, you know, an injury list a mile long. So you, you can't see them losing either of those games. They then host New Zealand at home, the longest road trip in the league. For the Breakers, they host Cairns, which is probably the second longest road trip in the league. And then the last round, they travel to Illawarra, and then they go to My State Bank Arena. But by then, it may not matter for Perth. They they may have top spot sewn up, given the number of road games Melbourne have left on their schedule. They they have a relatively soft run home and should be entering the finals and the bye with a ton of confidence. Yeah, and I, I think we're fairly safe to say now, aren't we, that Perth will definitely have that that first round by at the very least with a, a top two spot. So either way, they're going to be coming into the finals with, with some time to rest and likely with a lot of confidence. But as you say, Melbourne United only one game ahead of them at the moment and with a, with a much tougher run to finish the season. So their fate's still in their own hands, Melbourne, but for Perth, they can they can really pile on some pressure if they can win every game that they're expected to down the stretch and and keep close and yeah maybe even go past Melbourne for that top spot and earn home court advantage through the finals. And for his part, John really after the game against Sydney was pretty circumspect and did what every good coach should do when their team's playing well. He played it down. He said that it's about the next game and the next day, uh, and made sure that it was the conversation wasn't. Uh, too focused on the title, on the championship, and on Perth's ascension to be a bona fide contender, if not best team in the league. Um, and with players like Hiram Harris around that know their role, know what they have to bring on a night-by-night basis, Perth will find it really, really easy to continue this synergy and take them all the way to potentially the championship series. I picked them pre-season, uh, Jacob, so I'm sitting really pretty right now, not to brag, but to brag. Um, Melbourne's kind of the only team that can really catch them at this point for talent. The looming one is obviously our local Tasmania Jack Jumpers, but for United, they might have the only player that's capable of defending Bryce Cotton in Shea Illy and Matthew Delavadova. Um, and they obviously have Luke Travers as well, who knows Perth, knows John really, knows what John really does. So it's a really intriguing matchup to see potentially Melbourne and Perth, the two best teams in the league, fighting it out for that championship eventually. And we've seen that so far this season, haven't we? Whenever they've played, it's been a really high-level, close, competitive game. So on an individual level, as you say, there's there's some really interesting matchups there. You know, Bryce Cotton and Chris Golding as those two sort of electric scorers being guarded by some really good defensive players on both sides. And yeah, I think if it was to be a, a five-game grand final series, we we certainly wouldn't 
complain. I don't think anyone could be upset about that because you, you pretty much know at this point that when Melbourne and Perth meet, there's going to be a lot of feeling in it. There's going to be a lot of really good basketball on the court and there's going to be some of the best players in the league going head to head. So there's plenty to look forward to if it falls that way. There are still some teams down the order. You mentioned Tasmania, uh, Sydney have quite a high ceiling and you know, it's such a log jam down there. A lot of teams could still make the finals and maybe threaten those two. But at this stage, it's it's hard to see past those two teams. Our colleague Matt Hickey's written a great piece this week on pickandroll.com.au about uh, how tight the NBL ladder is. We have, I think, four or five teams now on 12 losses as we record this on Thursday, Jacob. Uh, you can only really get to maybe 14 losses in order to make the play-in tournament. Uh, it's anyone's game right now from three right down to eight or nine. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, there's one or two teams that you could maybe, in essence, rule out of the finals race, but it's it's pretty rare to come this late in an NBL season and have every single team still mathematically a chance to make the finals. So we know where we think it might fall. There's teams that are in form, there's teams that are out of form, but... You know, when when you've got a team like Adelaide suddenly hitting form and and making a run after looking like comfortably the worst team in the league for the whole season, add that to Illawarra, who fired their coach early and then have won their way back into contention as well. It's it's just impossible to to really draw a line through anyway. Anyone ought to know what's going to happen next. So, as you say, with only only the one win separating third down to seventh. It's going to be one hell of a finish to the regular season and then leading into a, a final series and a playing tournament that, that could be one of the best we've seen in a long time. It's exactly what the NBL would want heading into the last couple of rounds. We had it last year. We thought we were spoiled, but this may very well be the norm. Adelaide and Melbourne, uh, South East Melbourne, that is, the only two teams on 14 losses um, with Illawarra and New Zealand, Sydney and Brisbane on 12 losses. Cairns on 13, so they pretty much have to win out the rest of the way, Tasmania are on 11 and in the top two spots, pretty much assured at this point. So you can read Jacob's article on Hiram Harris on pickandroll.com.au. You can read Mac Hickey's article on the closeness of the NBL season as well. Plenty of NBL content and we'll have plenty of NBL content on Unwrapped over the following weeks in the lead up to the playing tournament, the playoffs, and then the championship series. Jacob Dool, thanks so much for joining me and go Jackies. No problem. Thanks for having me, and I'll see you next time at My State Bank Arena. That is episode four of Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast in the books. For episode five next week, the Pick and Roll's Warren Yu and myself get the opportunity to sit down with the Director of Athlete Marketing for Priority Sports, James Wang, to have a chat about his journey from growing up in Australia to playing in the China NBL to now working in the wonderful world of athlete endorsements and everything in between. Looking forward to hearing that full interview. For now, here's a little snippet. On on the brand partnership side, a guy can have, you know, we do so many more deals than um, the basketball side. You're, you could only have one basketball job, whereas you can have, you know, you can have, depending on like how you navigate the categories uh, conversation, you can have 10 to 12 to 15 um, endorsement deals at any given time. 